Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master, and I'm a pastor here. As JC said, we might be different than other churches in the area, but we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously, and we want to help you take your next step every week you're here. This week, we're kicking off this new series, and it's called Identity. And in this series, what we hope to do is cover a few specific things. Firstly, we're going to look to the Bible to help you find your individual identity as someone who is a follower of Christ and wants to serve him. We want to help you wrestle with questions like, what should be different about me? Or what should drive me? Or what is God's desire for me? And also how God wants to use your unique life situation for good, for his church. In addition to that, we also are going to talk through the identity of this church, as in what we will share like some of the certain things that just are the way they are here, like why certain choices or decisions were made as a church or as this church was formed almost three years ago already. Uh, next week, we're going to celebrate Centerpoint being three years old. But I hope to show you that hundreds of hours of research and analysis of Scripture have been done to help us attempt to be the most honorable church to God as we feel we possibly can. I hope in explaining our reasoning for why this church what it, or does what it does, it will help answer some of the mind-tickling questions one maybe have about a church like Centerpoint to both help you with your own thoughts and questions, but also to help you answer maybe some of your friends' questions. Like questions like, why is there no cross in this room? Or why is it so dark and contemporary feeling and the sermon's full of videos or comedic things and the message is always so encouraging and positive? Shouldn't it be about sin and turning and burning? Or what, what, maybe you've struggled with the statement of like a church like Centerpoint. It's just it's shallow. It's just shallow in a sense. There's no depth there and just tells people basically what they want to hear on Sundays. Have you heard that one or thought that a bit? Or the question of why is this church so focused on growth? Is it just about numbers to them? Why doesn't this church do more or less of this thing? Or what denomination is Centerpoint? Why don't they confirm people? Or probably the most frustrating one, why doesn't Aaron wear a robe on stage? I could keep going, right? Like with a lot of questions. But I hope to address a lot of these type of questions over these next three weeks. But to hack that last one off right away, I do wear robes. My family is a robe-wearing family. Like, if you drive by our house at 6 a.m., you'll probably see me scrambling out to get my newspaper with a robe on. Sorry to my neighbors in the room. Uh, I'm making a joke on, on this situation and definitely don't mean to make fun of churches that wear robes. But to answer that question specifically, I don't wear a robe because we see a pastor as a normal, everyday person just like you. Someone who is both flawed and also trying to follow God. So wearing Jesus, and a button-down shirt like this, I hope it communicates that I'm no different than you. But robesides, uh, many people have real questions about a church like this that I hope to get through over these next few weeks teaching at church here. If you have a friend who has questions like these, this is a great series to invite them to. Here at Centerpoint, if you haven't felt it yet, the vibe or the culture is a bit different than other churches. But why? Why? Why is that the case? I mean, 
church is church, right? Like, this is a church, right? Like, it's in a children's museum. Yes, we absolutely are a church. A church is not really a beautiful old church building. It's not a trendy church building. And it's not necessarily a children's museum either. A church is a group or a community of believers. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The church is God's body, it's saying, or people who represent God on earth. And later in scripture, we see his body or his church or us, we all have unique gifts and different functions to offer. But there are like 30-some churches, Christian churches here in Fond du Lac. Aren't they all the same? I hope and I want to fairly confidently say that we are all about 90% the same. Like the makeup of a typical Christian church generally has the same beliefs. Like if we just look at like our beliefs that we have on our website for a second, we believe that the Bible is without error and is the, our authority for things. This is a belief of ours and almost all Christian churches. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to earth to make payment for the sins of the earth. Only through Jesus can we have eternal life and be made with God, made right with God. This is almost all Christian churches. We believe that God is the being that created the universe and sustains everything in it. Every Christian church basically believes this. As a church, we, are, we value, some of our values, we value producing committed followers of Jesus who read the Bible, pray, worship God, serve others. Lots of other places value those things as well. We value evangelism or sharing and inviting people to know Jesus. We want to reach those who don't have a connection with him. These are all pretty much universal truths that make up a Christian church. Whether it's a Lutheran church or Methodist church or a Catholic church or any others out there. For those that are maybe interested in this type of thing, two years ago I did a message that breaks down the different denominations and kind of processes how different denominations formed and came to be. Uh, I'm going to send a link out to that in my email this week. If you're interested in that, simply fill out one of those connect cards, put that in the offering bin, and you can get that, that link for that. But this is pretty much 90% of the most important stuff in a Christian church. Why then... Are they, and how can churches be so different than one another? Well, have you ever heard an analogy with brownies before? Anybody heard about the ingredients and brownies and what you add? Okay, only a few people maybe. Um, are there any brownie fans in the room? Who's not a fan of brownies? Oh, I was going to say get out. Um, just kidding. Um, brownies are delicious. Um, and the ingredients to a brownie's they're pretty simple, right? Like, they're pretty simple. Like, you got a box, right? You got a box brownie. And, like, let's be real. Like, box brownies are 100% better than homemade brownies. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. But the ingredients are pretty simple. Like, if I look at this, it's like one egg, oil, and a box of brownies. Like, that covers it, right? Like, that's what makes brownies. Those are the main ingredients. Like, without those, they aren't brownies, Yet after those main ingredients, 
everyone seems to kind of mix it up a little bit, right? Like some people are all about vanilla ab- extract that they'd add, or maybe they add like chocolate chips to it, which is yummy, or maybe they add whipped cream or ice cream or frosting or, or a caramel of some sort, whatever, to make the brownies a perfect fit for their family, their group, or their tradition. That extra stuff whether you're intentional about why you do it or don't do it, it tends to usually just be what you do because it's what you grew up with or what mom always did or it's what you've always done or what you feel makes it best. But the way the analogy goes with this brownies or making brownies is what else you put into it, even if it's a little tiny bit, it still matters. Like if you're not intentional about putting good in and someone said, you know, I just added a little tiny piece of dog poop in there. Or I coughed all over it. Or, you know, I I shaved my beard near it and like some of like the beard hairs fell on top of it. No big deal. Sorry. No big deal. Do you still want them? What? Of course it's a big deal, right? Like you don't want those brownies anymore. Who would eat that? Oh, okay, okay, good, good. (laughs) No way. It changes the brownies quite drastically, even being such a little amount, even though the core is the same. Now, in nowhere, shape, or form am I saying other churches put poop or hair in their services or coffee and what they do or anything like that. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to show, though, that the extra ingredients one would add or not add to church uh, matters. Or if you don't even use like, or see it as like an additional ingredient one maybe is adding, but just how the 90% is presented or prepared, it matters. The reason I'm going in such depth about this is as a church, we have intentionally decided how we prepare and what our toppings are when giving the 90%. What this church was built on since day one is being positive, relevant, and real. We have street signs of it. You could take one with you on your way out if, if you're on board with that. Um, stick that in the yard, definitely for this series. But it's what we hope people tend to think of their experience here at Centerpoint. We have the 90%, the, the stuff that a Christian church needs and should have, but we also are positive, relevant, and real. Now you might think, that's great. I love that about this place. Like, this place is like amazing. But that is also what a lot of people critique about this place. As if, uh, for the positive, when we think about being positive, people think, oh, they're just too optimistic or fake or shallow there. Or when we're, when we're relevant, it's like they're just going off of what culture says, not scripture, when we're relevant or engaging to younger people. We're going to cover that one next week. Or we're full of mess-ups and like there's messed up, messed up people on stage speaking and they're really real and raw on stage. Our leadership team's pretty real and raw and they're messed up too. Everyone's kind of messed up at that church. Well, we're just real as who we are, and we're going to cover that one in two weeks and how that is an ingredient of our church. Some people don't like these extra toppings, but they are something we chose to do when this church was planted three years ago. And the reason we chose this is we believe Jesus also modeled these things. So this week, we're hitting on the, the first ingredient, like it's, we're calling it positive. This is what we're hitting on for this, series, or for this first week. Um, the definition of positive is, is this, like they, in the second one it says constructive, optimistic, confident, affirmative. Those are used to describe it. Other synonyms to it is also like hopeful or joyful or forward thinking, caring, encouraging. 
Now, it's not to say Christians or people of this church are never negative or to be negative um, or are supposed to oppose those feelings or moods that aren't positive or that everything that when, when it comes to following Jesus is just all sunshines and rainbows. It's just all good and positive. Because there are absolutely some tough things with following Jesus, some things that aren't necessarily positive, such as the fact that there are personal costs and sacrifices of following Jesus and maintaining a relationship with him. Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Ye, that's not great to hear, take up a cross? But it's true. It's real. Yet Jesus never left people there or with the direction that you're just going to take up a cross to take up a cross. His main teachings, they never left people in the negative. It always took them to the positive. Uh, The positive, for example, of like having no fear with God. Like he says, like have no fear with God. And you can see that in scripture, like John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, do not be afraid. The positive, no need to worry, like Matthew 6, 26 is where it picks that up. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Things will be given to you, all right? He also says the positive, a relationship help. Love each other because love covers a multitude of sins. The positive of following him, it gives you an afterlife with God. He says, my father's house has many rooms. He's going to prepare a place for you. The positive of choosing to do the God-honoring thing. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, it says, your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. This is just a few examples to get us started, but as we're about to kind of dive into a meteor passage of the Bible today to help you see why we as a church should choose to be positive, but also why you and your identity should be one who is positive. I want you to first, kind of before we dive into this all, I want you to first just do an honest reflection of yourself for a moment and your level of positivity. Like on a scale of one to five, one being not so much, five being a lot or very often, how positive of a person are you? On a scale of one to five, how often are you negative or a complainer? On a scale of one to five, like how often do you choose to see the positive in a situation? On a scale of one to five, how encouraging and hopeful for others are you? No matter where you're at today, I think the passage that we're going to look at in Jesus' teachings will give you wisdom on things you can do to bump it up a little bit. Where I want us to look today in Scripture is actually we're picking back up uh, where I left off two weeks ago in the story of the prodigal son and, and that parable, along with the two others that go with it in Luke 15. If you missed that message, I'm just going to recap with you for just one minute, starting with that first parable. If you were here, sorry, I guess you get a little one-minute nap during this time. But when Jesus, he tells these stories, these three different stories we're looking at, he has an audience, and the audience is Jewish religious leaders known as the Pharisees, and then there are also non-religious people present who are typically kind of seen as like naughty, not followers of God. And Jesus says this to them, starting with the first story. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then he shares another story after this. It says, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he tells the prodigal son story. And it's a story about a, how a son, he, he cuts ties with his family, he goes off, he lives recklessly and loses everything doing bad stuff, but decides to come back home, hoping the family takes him back as just a slave. And we see the father does take him back. And not only that, he celebrates that his, his son has returned again. But the older brother... The older brother who stayed home the whole time is crabby. And the father tries to show him why he should celebrate and be positive about the return. So Jesus is telling story after story about searching and looking and being excited about something that is found or returned to show how excited God is about people's decision to return home. If I'm honest with you about me, and, and, and this might be you too, the character of God in these stories, the shepherd, the woman, and the father, their emotions or response in these stories is not what ours typically is when runaways or lost things get lost or when people who disobedient leave return. For us, it's more of a, I told you so, or you should have put an apple tag on it so you didn't have to search the whole house. Or it's the, I can't believe I tore my house apart to find that one thing. I finally found it, but I'm ticked. I'm ticked that I found it and tore the house apart instead of being joyful. For us, we can resort to scolding or punishment of those people. It can be complaining of, the one, of being the one uh, who has stayed the whole time instead of rejoicing of that person coming back who stepped away initially. None of these are the emotions or the ingredients or the intentionality of the characters from the stories when ours typically would be. What we see is the Father. The character of God is one who searches, he finds, and he embraces full-heartedly the return of the lost all positively. Now, as I say this, and, and you hear how important this must be for God, especially if he tells three different examples of this. I got to ask you, are you positive about people coming out to hear about God? People who aren't your typical Christian. Are you trying to find and putting the work in to look for the lost? Maybe even just that one person and celebrating when you do. Are you willing to dig through the whole house or the whole city to put in the hard work to fully find what or who's missing? It's hard but I think, I think people who are into church and Jesus, maybe like you or I, we have such an important role in helping more and more people come to hear about Jesus and experiencing their return or change towards God. And it has to do with our positivity towards them. Now, before I did seminary as like a pastor, I, was, uh, I went to school to be an elementary and middle school teacher, and my wife is, is also a teacher. Um, so we talked a lot about education in our early years together. 
Um, and speaking of teachers, like in honor of the kickoff of school on Tuesday, we want to help Fond du Lac teachers kick off the school year full of energy. So we're giving away free coffee at Stone Oak Coffee House to all the teachers. Um, you can just simply stop by if you're a teacher between like 7 and 1. I think they're open till. show your badge and they'll hook you up with a free drink. Um, but that's on Tuesday, that, that first day back. But anyways, like with teaching... And helping kids learn, Sydney and I, we talked a lot about this, there's a powerful discipline tool that uses positivity, and it's called positive reinforcement. I want to show you a little example of it. Check it out. Are you finished? Well, thank you. How thoughtful. Would you like a chocolate? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, sorry, Sheldon, I almost sat in your spot. Did you? I didn't notice. Have a chocolate. Thank you. <laughs> You're here a lot now. Oh, am I talking too much? I'm sorry. Zip. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Chocolate? Yes, please. Hold on, let me take this in the hall. Now this is obviously very cheesy and to an extreme. And we aren't giving people chocolate for doing church or faith things or anything of that sort. But just put yourself in the prodigal son story for a second here and kind of think of using positive reinforcement. As someone who knows the father's desire that he simply wants to positively embrace a return, what should a friend or a family member or an older brother really do in that situation? What would you do if you were an unmentioned character in the prodigal son story? Like if you are to help the father or God get what he wants, what would you do? I think for me, like, I'd be encouraging that younger son like crazy to return home. I'd be reminding him, like, dad is going to embrace you when you turn, when you go back. I'd be hoping or helping them see that life isn't over for them in their mistake. I would be, like, joyful about just a step that they take, maybe just one in the right direction. I'd be offering rides, reminders, text messages, invitations to come home with me. I would be compelling in a way, like a way to help them start their journey home so they can get glimpses of the Father just waiting for them. Uh, I think I would do just about everything I could to positively reinforce their steps towards their personal decision to return. It still has to be their decision to repent and turn to God, but I'd encourage it and positively reinforce it. As you think about you, what would you be doing if you were... If you had a younger brother or a friend that strayed away from God in a story like the parable son, what are you currently doing right now about those who are in your life that are maybe like that? Are you positive? And when they return or, or start taking steps, maybe just one, are you still positive? In college, I, uh, I was a big runner and I did a few half marathons, I did a, a full marathon, and along with a bunch of 5Ks and 10Ks and some relay races. And running was this like super fun hobby to me in general, but the perk of the race is 
people and the fun around kind of like cheering you on. Like it was just like that's what was fun about it. Well, I did a, a half marathon, marathon a few years ago and it was the Fox Cities, the one in Appleton. And I wasn't in shape and I wasn't going to do it. But I had a friend who was like, come on, I have a free registration. Come on, come do it. I have a bunch of other people doing it. And I'm like, all right. So I got to the race, and you start to see, like, all the running jocks. You know, like, you see all the running jocks who are, like, stretching. You know, it's like, it's not all the people that are, like, into running or just into running. It's the people who are, like, really into running. That's who you start seeing when you're at races like this. And when you're there, whether you're actually into running or not, you start to get a runner's high. Like, if you've never been a part of a race or ran something like this before, what it feels like is you start to see everyone with, like, cool gear and then, like, they're doing, like, special stretches. You're like, what is that? They have, like, a diet. Like, they're eating, like, weird things. They have, like, a unique water recipe even. And then they talk about, like, with others about future races, like, nonstop. And you get hooked. You get hooked and you're instantly like, yeah, I could probably do a 100-mile race next week when it took everything for you to sign up for the 13.1, the half marathon. But the energy is there. And you're around others and you're commonly pursuing this goal still all to run either 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles of marathon. Like that's what you signed up for. There's no getting around it no matter how cool or whatever gear you have. But for me at this race, you're, you're, I was packed in with all these people and once it started, you, you kind of gradually get further and further apart from people and it gets harder, but I was loving it. I was loving it. The energy was just like maintaining me. And I think I was running like 630 miles at that time. I came up to mile 10-ish feeling really good. Tons of positive people along the way. They have signs. And like I'm kind of expecting the finish line that like people start filling up a little bit more. And you see bands and people with signs and more fun booths kind of just cheering you on. And I wasn't seeing much of that. And mile 11, still nothing. Mile 12, like it's just me and a few intense runners, like the hardcore runners and a few signs trucking along. And I'm like leaving stuff in the tank. Like I'm expecting the PR. Like this is going to be my best race. I'm ready to go. I'm gearing up for it. Mile 13, still nothing. 13.1 is what I'm running. Mile marker, 13.5. Okay, something's wrong. Like something's going on here. Long story short, like I missed the sign that it wasn't this, but half marathon turn here, full marathon keep going. Um, so, which is a story for a whole other message, but my ending and motivation to put, I didn't finish the 26.2, but my ending and motivation to push through to the end, it was slowed, it was diminished. I did it, I finished the 13.1, but it wasn't what it could have been. Now, the reason I tell you this is because of my missing of the sign, I missed all the encouragement, the support, and positivity to get to the finish line, to celebrate with my people, the people that were there with me, and to help me put out my very best, especially in those tough spots or at the end. To get to actual, or to, for me to actually get to the end in that race, I had to like ride with some random person for like 13.1 miles, like, which is a long ride with a random person and to get to the other side of the town. I had to freak everybody out who was waiting for me. And then finally, when I showed up, they were like, oh, thank God you're okay, Aaron. But this story like, of my oblivion to like, big signs and kind of stupidity, it shows though how helpful a positive person truly can be. Like, positive to start the race, positive to get going in the race, positive to keep going, and the positive I could have experienced from all the people at the end. The point of the positivity is meant to move you towards something. 
And as a church, we've taken up that posture to tentative or to positively push you and others to keep taking steps in your relationship with God. We want to be a place that's full of people who are not encouraged to just start a race or a, a person that's just follow or just like kind of getting going at a race. But we want to be a church that helps people maintain and positively help them finish the race of following Jesus. We want others in all areas of the race or the Christian life, and we want to help them. And we do that through positive encouragement and reinforcement of living out Jesus' direction. Have you experienced that here? If so, and you call this church home, are you helping maintain the, that identity as a church or a community of people that are doing that by how you are when you're here? Have you found your unique niche or part of you to help do that well? If not, why not? What I want to spend our remaining time on today is explaining how, exactly how you can maybe start doing that or more of that and what things Jesus has equipped you with that should be part of your identity and is part of this church's identity. The first tool I think Jesus has equipped us with is the gospel. The gospel. The news Jesus came to deliver was known as what? It's, it's the gospel, but also known as the good news. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news or it's positive news because it contains the message of God's freedom and forgiveness for messed up people, people like you and me. The gospel is the heart of a Christian church's teaching. Are you sharing that good news? The word in Greek for gospel is euangelion, and if someone before Jesus' time heard the term gospel, they would be thinking good news is a political or military announcement, like euangelion, we won the war, euangelion, like the king had a baby, euangelion, it's been a good year, all good things. But for it to start being used by a street preacher or a man living with the outcast was rare. Jesus, he brought good news, the gospel, and wanted it shared. Check out what Mark 13.10 says. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations, he says. And then Mark 16.15, he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all. When Jesus, he fulfilled the, this news of defeating death and saying, Anyone can be forgiven and go where he is going after death as long as they're united with him. His followers started to see and declare that themselves that the news of Jesus truly is good, and it's spread. And it's a call for us to continue to share this good and positive news. Are you doing that? If you aren't sharing the news that, with someone and you believe that news, you're kind of withholding positivity. I get it. It's hard to share faith. But as a church, how we've embodied using the gospel or sharing the good news is, first off, 99% of the sermons that are done here include it. It includes the gospel. We always have an opportunity for people to hear and accept the gospel for the first time. Some maybe feel that's redundant to do every week, but we want everyone to have an opportunity to accept it. But that's, that's just what's spoken here on Sundays. How are you or the actual church how can you be positive in using the gospel by sharing it? For you, maybe, maybe you can express it by sharing your own positive story of freedom and change in Jesus. And we want everyone to get to that point where they feel comfortable doing that. We want to coach you in that. But we also see that it's extremely difficult to do. So a starting point for you is maybe just sharing 
hey, you should come to church because you know 99% of the messages that are done here share the gospel. Who is it that you maybe need to do that for or, or personally share the gospel to? You are wired uniquely and are in a particular place to reach a particular family or neighborhood or workplace. Are you embracing your unique role in sharing the good news, the gospel? I always like giving you practical ways to do this or tangible things. And if this series doesn't seem like a good one to invite a friend to, I, I think it is. But if for you, you're like, ah, I don't know if that would be for them. You should definitely invite them to our October series. And that series is called Peace of Mind. And what we're doing is we're talking about how God has given us direction and tools to have peace from anxiety and fear and stress and depression. I know there are people that need to hear that are you sharing the good news that Jesus can help free them from some of that? The second tool I think Jesus has given us is Jesus helped all see that they can change. There are countless interactions where Jesus has people coming to him feeling unworthy, unvalued, without purpose, unforgivable, unhealable. And then what Jesus does when he sees this or witnesses this is he asks them if they believe in who he is. And then he gives them a positive outlook to change. For example, in the Bible, there's a woman that's, that's caught in adultery and everyone's about to stone her. Jesus stops them, converses with her, and sends her off to continue living. There's a man who has had an ailment, like an injury his entire life. And when he's tried everything to be healed, Jesus approaches him, he heals him, and sends him off. Even in our prodigal son story, when the son comes back expecting to be a slave, the father treats him as he once was and brings him back into the family, moving forward as a son. Jesus gives people, all people, a positive outlook on life through him. Have you embraced that personally? And if so, are you also doing it as a person of faith for others? As a church, it's part of our identity to give people a positive outlook on life. But it's also probably the biggest or one of the biggest criticisms people have about this church. I've seen people who will come to this church or a church like this for a while. They love it. They accept the gospel here. And after a while, they feel like or say something like, I need something deeper. I need something deeper. It just, it just feels kind of shallow. I keep hearing a lot of the same stories, Aaron. And I want something meatier. Like, call out my sin. If you've ever thought that or, uh, or just maybe even like considered that thought, I, I want to clarify a few things for that. If we first look to how Jesus taught and moved both the unchurched and the church or the church people, such as the religious people, he still told simple stories. Again, stories like the prodigal son. And sure, if you've been coming to the church for a while, you've maybe heard the same stories year after year. But isn't that a good thing? Like, if a church is telling you stories you don't know or putting in nuances that you've never heard about Scripture, is it still the Bible's core teaching then? Is it still God's truth? The Bible, it doesn't change. We don't add anything to it. So if you're hearing something new or different that you're like, oh, I didn't know that was in Scripture— that's probably problematic. 
Next week, you're going to hear how we want to be a relevant church, and we do different things to make that happen, but we will never change what Scripture says. It's always the same Bible. It's always the same stories. But Aaron, 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 you might be thinking, other churches use bigger words or use more religious terms, and they get deep. Why don't we do that? First off, did you know that most of the religious terms that are used in the church today are man-made? Like they are man-made from people like you and me looking to scripture and trying to understand God and coming up with concepts for people. And there's nothing wrong with that. That could be great. But if we're simply here taking one hour of a worship service that's meant to move us closer to God, we're going to use words that are clear and that all can understand. Why would I start using words that would exclude others, specifically unchurched people who God, we just saw in the prodigal son story, wants to welcome? The language being more religious, it doesn't make it deeper. It just makes the understanding and message murkier, muddier, as in harder for all to see and understand. Again, Jesus used simple stories, and it was for a reason. He didn't hammer people home and beat them down on being a sinner. He honestly rarely had to remind people of their sin. He simply told them a story and let the Holy Spirit or the part of God that goes within us convict. If Jesus didn't give people a laundry list of their sins in his teaching before he healed them or sent them off, why should a pastor on a Sunday do that? That's the Holy Spirit's job. John 16, 8, it says, When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. When people hear a simple story and want to change because of sin, that's the Holy Spirit in you. Many of us, we've experienced an encounter with God or maybe a re-encounter with God through a church like this after hearing a simple story and letting God convict. But what if... What if our first time we came to a church like this was all about sin or just big religious terms that I still don't even know what they fully all mean? Like, and I'm a pastor, I went to seminary. Would you have let God soften your heart if you heard that? Would you have come back for continuous growth? Probably not. You see, you are changed by the positive outlook on faith through simple stories told by Jesus. Almost always in his stories, there's a connection for both the new believer and the supposedly mature believer, such as the elder son and the prodigal son. When you hear the story, if you aren't able to humble yourself and see yourself as the elder son in some ways and are convicted by that, I'm sorry, you've probably lost your humility. You've probably deafened your ears to the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught with stories like the prodigal son, and he rarely calls out the sins of people. He gives them a message to have them process and then waits for conviction, and the conviction leads to a view that you can live a changed life. So again, both Jesus and the church, we use simple stories in partnering with the Holy Spirit to both help you see that you can change and have a positive outlook on life. And then also others. The third and final tool that Jesus has given us is Jesus helped people choose a posture of positivity. In many of people's interactions with Jesus, when they believed in who he was or his ability, he healed them. He freed them. He opened their eyes. He forgave them for being bad. He did the miraculous for them. But then he left people with the positive direction or the general statement of, now that this has happened to you, 
go and sin no more. John 8, 11, go and sin no more when he frees that woman that's caught in adultery. John 5, 14, see that you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you after healing that, that man who had a deformity on his hand. Needing healing and committing adultery, those are very different things, right? Like, those are very different things. But Jesus still says to them, sin no more. Go and sin no more. It's his way of saying, you've experienced this good news of who I am and what I can do. Now live changed. To be real with you, it's impossible for you and I to to go and sin no more. Like, sin is just something we're naturally going to do. But Jesus wanted people to choose a posture of positive, fresh, changed life after an encounter with him and attempt to live more aligned with his ways. To keep momentum or positivity going, to have sin or negativity be no more is extremely hard unless you're consciously choosing a posture of seeking that. Just this week, I, I had an extra day off during the week, and I was like jacked about it. Like, yeah, extra day off, we're going to the lake. Like, is this going to be exciting? Yes. But then my morning started with two screaming children at 6 a.m. still. And I like to sleep in. And my daughter took a picture of us while we're trying to sleep in. And then they're both hungry instantly. And then my dog is whining to go out. And then I walk out and I realize my dog threw up on the carpet. And then I realize the windows have been open and it's freezing in the house and it's going to be so hot today. And I'm dealing with the same frustrations that I did or do most days. I've heard someone say, with kids, there is no vacation. It's just relocation unless I choose the posture of positivity, which for me, it's I'm at the lake, I'm with my girls all day, I get to bike with them, this is the family I love most times, the sun's out, I have a job where I can take a day off like this, and we have fun things planned. I had to choose a posture of positivity in that situation. It's the same with the approach of following Jesus. You experience a life change, and then you are to live a fresh new life with him. But if you choose to go back to the old, see yourself with crabby eyes or as you used to be, you'll just fall right back to it. Jesus wants you and other people to know they can change positively, and it's done by consciously choosing him and his ways. In the prodigal son story, if you don't remember from two weeks ago, the older brother who's strayed away from home, he's crabby that the father is celebrating with the younger son's return, and the father says to him, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We as a church, we want to embody that, a place that's full of positivity so that people are continuously reminded they can change, a change that you can be forgiven, a change that will allow you to see that you can keep growing in your relationship with God, a change that does keep you excited about serving God and his church. Jesus wanted you and me to partner with him in helping people go and sin no more. For you to start doing that, do you need to maybe start seeing the positive, choosing the positive? Do you need to see that you can positively impact others in their journey? Again, as a church, the most important stuff is the 90%. That's the beliefs. That's what we value. But from there, what makes this place different is the 10%. And one of those additional ingredients is positive. As I close today, will you help this church continue moving forward with that? I'm going to pray that we do. Would you pray with me as I close this part of the service? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us just a clear example of how we can be positive through your teachings. 
God, I just pray that we can continue to move this church forward in a positive way and continue to grow and have more and more people come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.